writer's tricks of the trade. I'm Morgan St. James, and tonight's topic is finding your ideal first readers. These are those valuable people you can rely upon to give you honest, constructive feedback well before your manuscript is deemed ready for submission or publication. They generally aren't professional editors. In fact, some may be published writers, and if you do put together a group of first readers, it's also good to include readers who are not writers. However, like most things that involve someone's opinion, there is a hitch. Some things might not be valid when you get your feedback, and you might not agree with others. So instead of reacting to everything, you have to pick and choose. That's right, and I'm Eric James Miller, and that brings up the question, Morgan, who are these people and how do I find them? The ideal reader will typically be someone who likes and often reads the genre of your book. It's really important for them to be people who relate to your genre, especially when you're starting out. Then then kind of the reverse is true in my experience. You want to get a broader um, cross-section of of readers. But in other words, you might not get valuable feedback for a sci-fi tale in the beginning if if the person that you ask mainly reads romance. Now, of course, exceptions might be a sub-genre or mixed-genre piece like Avatar, um, where maybe you have a sci-fi element with a, a romance element. Um. Then if you have a romance with a sci-fi bent, making it more likely that the reader will relate to your story, that's the kind of reader that you want to target. Do you agree, Denny? I certainly do, Eric. And here's another consideration. If you write in a style that depends upon nuances, slow build-ups, and veiled clues, a person who mainly reads fast-paced thrillers might find it too slow-moving and boring. By the same token, a person who reads warm, fuzzy books could be shocked and appalled at a gory horror theme. That's absolutely true. Even if it turns out that the person didn't like your book because of personal taste, oftentimes their feedback tells you things about the manuscript that are important. Um, might, you know, might evoke emotions that you were striving for, in a way that's actually a confirmation that you accomplished what you set out to do. Sometimes you have to realize in an evaluation like that is actually a positive, not a negative. That's really a good point, Eric. You know, sometimes it's a pure situation of right story, wrong reader. And what that says is don't get discouraged if that happens to you. In cases like that, you have to learn to read between the lines. Let me give you an example from personal experience. Here's a line from a review for my book, Betrayed. Um, This reader was not a writer. The book was already in publication, and this is from an Amazon review. It said, I was so sad just reading this book that I had to stop and get myself together. I mean, how can a teen like Laurel go through so much and at the same time still have so much bad luck? A later comment at the end of the same reader's review was, I had to read to the end to see what happened with the mother-in-law and see if she beat Laurel and took her son away or if Laurel took charge of her life and kicked that in-law's butt. Oh, it's nice that Vince was there beside her and Viola and Nadia, 
this reader gave the book three stars, but you know what? I translated it to five, and I'll tell you why. Because when I looked at the whole review, I realized it probably wasn't her cup of tea. Her remarks made it obvious that she likes to read happy books. But her reactions were exactly what I was going for. It isn't a warm, fuzzy story. It's the story of a teenage dancer who's kidnapped, raped, and left for dead. It's her struggle to rebuild her life again and find her inner strength. There's nothing happy about a kidnapping scene, unless, of course, the book is a comedy. That's an excellent example, Morgan. You know what? In fact, I'd say the mere fact that the reader wanted to go on and read to the end of your story to see how things turned out, I mean, that indicates right there that the story grabbed her, despite the fact that it wasn't what she generally liked to read. My guess is her evaluation was exactly the emotional response you were striving for. And it also showed she became involved in the lives of the characters. Was there any other interesting feedback from your first readers about that book? Like something maybe that made, I know it was already published, but Was there anything that made you go back and sort of edit it on second release? Yeah, let's go back to the the point of first readers before it was published. And I'm really glad you asked that because one of the comments here is that first readers with valid feedback really can trigger your desire to make some edits before you finalize it. I gave a very trusted first reader the manuscript And I was sort of surprised at her reaction. Let me repeat it verbatim, because this is the kind of feedback that's so helpful. You know, we get tunnel-visioned into our own concepts sometimes, and therefore we don't see what a reader might see. She said one one of the more violent scenes. I see where you're going, but as a woman, I found that scene a little too violent for me. Men might like it, but can you tone it down a little for us women and still get the same thing across? You know, I took her advice, and the manuscript was improved. My friend gave the new scene a thumbs up. And I have to say at this point that I'm a person who lives with humor in my life, and I enjoy looking at the bright side of things. Betrayed was a real departure from the books that I normally wrote, because my normal writing style doesn't feature violence. And I wasn't even sure I could write it. And when I reread it, just looking at it as a reader, that scene as originally written even surprised me because it was so violent. It made me cringe. So here's the main point. I learned to evaluate responses of others and act upon them if warranted. By the way, writing that book also prepared me to collaborate with Denny years later when we wrote La Bella Mafia, the true story of Bella Capo. Denny, have you had anything like that happen to you? As a matter of fact, a remarkably similar situation. For one of my fictions, I wanted to open the book with a rape scene. I had never written one before, and I, you know, it had to be the hook, you know, the opening chapter. So I went into quite a bit of detail, made it quite graphic. And I, when I got done with it, I read it back, and I said, you know, did I go too far? And so I didn't have first readers, but I had some women in my life, such as my wife and daughter, and I asked them separately to take a look at it. 
and uh, and give me their thoughts. And they both said that they were uh, in into it. I mean, they they said it was certainly got their attention. On the other hand, they both said they were very uncomfortable with it. And the concern was if if, if that was going to set that type of uh, of uh, graphic description was going to set the tone for the book, they probably would not have read any further. So I toned that down uh, a couple of different times, and uh, and it came off as a as a good opening scene. It accomplished what I wanted as far as the uh, attention getting, but did not serve as a turn off or, or make people so uncomfortable they wouldn't want to read the book. So uh, yes, it was very similar, Morgan, to what happened with you and the and the situation uh, you had. Well, it sounds no. like we're definitely making a, a good case for finding your ideal first readers. Uh, I remember on my second book, when I was working on it, I was I was uh, workshopping it here in Las Vegas after I had I'd moved from uh, Southern California, where where the novel was set, and I actually found it really beneficial that the people that I was um, workshopping it with had a vague idea of what Southern California beach living was like, but they had never directly experienced it. And so some of the passages and some of the commentary um, and, and mentions, place mentions and, and sort of character attributes, um, I got a lot of good feedback from them like along the lines of, I want to know more about that, or I, I, I don't need to know as much about that, or what is that? You're using you're using a <laughs> word that I've never heard of, you know, and um, that that was really very very in- interesting and and a good process because it made me really tighten up my re- my my writing um, and not just use words and incidences that were sort of sort of isolated to the Venice Beach um, scene. In the yeah, 90s. we Southern Cal- California people have our own world, don't we, Eric? <laughs> well, we do, and 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 sometimes we we make the mistake, and and I'm definitely I've I've been guilty of this my, myself that because of of the movie and TV industry, and this is an opinion, but I feel pretty strongly about it. Because of the the movie and TV industry being set in Southern California, I think we as writers from that region sometimes expect and count on sort of a higher level of awareness in our readers because so much of Southern California life is portrayed in our media and has been for the last 40 years. So sometimes we make certain assumptions that we need to question sometimes. I, you know, sometimes you can get by, you can just say, oh, you know, shooting up the 101 towards Malibu. Well, everybody's kind of had an idea of what that's like from, you know, Baywatch all the way back through the old police drama scenes, Dragnet and, and stuff like that. People have their own opinion of Malibu. But when you talk about skate parks and 
and sort of mobile roving bands and, and things like that that people are less familiar with, you need to realize that you need to paint a picture in your scene. And even though, you know, your readers might think that, oh, I know what Southern California is like, we have to show them a Southern California that is new and exciting and interesting. Denny, what what about you? Do you have anything to add along these lines? Yes, I do, Eric. I, I think it's uh, very important to always be open to analyzing what a reader says, even if you don't like it. There's often a valid reason for them to say what they do. For example, when it is coming from a writer friend, they might ask questions that a non-writer probably wouldn't. I love working through a first draft with a reader who's also a writer. It helps me see through their critical eye. Then I have choice of accepting or rejecting their comments. They pick up on things that I don't. Yeah, you know, before we move up on to the next thing, um, picking up things that you don't, that's something that I've really experienced with first readers. And, and once again, I know we're all three emphasizing this, but it's really important to have those trusted people that will give you a valid critique on what they're reading, never having seen this story before. You've lived with it. They haven't. So let me go back to Betrayed, because there was another great critique, and mm. I have to admit I never picked up on it myself. One of my other first readers, who was a writer, pointed out a chapter and said, everything in so many of the paragraphs seemed to be in Laurel's inner thoughts. I really would like to see her say something out loud. Wow, that was a very valid comment. You know, I've skipped right past that passage so many times. And another comment relative to one of Laurel's reactions was, I would think she wouldn't let that roll by. Why didn't she get angry? Again, spot on. A few mini rewrites and the manuscript once again grew stronger. That's uh, that's that's always true. And don't forget that any feedback that you get from your Aunt Mary can usually be disregarded. She loves you. She loves even the mushiest or most poorly written passages. The name or the relationship that you have with these first writers might change, but you have to be aware of it. We all have an Aunt Mary in our life who thinks everything we write is worthy of a Pulitzer Prize. That doesn't mean you shouldn't share it with him or her. After all, there are, well, there's only so many. It's nice to, to be a that the recipient of that proud niece or proud nephew or friend, you know, child, that, that feeling of, of surge of pride when they get from just holding your manuscript. But don't expect useful comments, especially not useful critical comments. If a few hap a few gems happen to sneak in, then pay attention to them, but take some of their glowing praise with a grain of salt. Okay, let's talk about critique groups for a minute. They're a great source of first readers, don't you all think? I certainly do, and I remember a few shows ago we talked about the importance of writers' groups and conferences, and sometimes the critique groups are part of a wider-based writers' organization, 
and sometimes that is the main purpose of the group. Now, most writers don't have big budgets to work with, uh, and I can attest to that. So often we <laughs> so rationalize <laughs> we rationalize not having an editor because of the lack of money to pay for one. So let's be honest here. All of us have different financial situations. But if you can't afford an editor, it's even more important to have first readers and the help of a critique group. It doesn't matter if it's the plot, the characters, grammar, spelling, syntax, or a zillion other landmines just waiting for you to step on them. These first readers and critique pals will catch things that you simply don't see. Then it's up to you to decide what is valid and what is not. Morgan, have you ever worked uh, any of your books with a critique group? Oh, I sure have. Um, All the way back in 2005, I went to my first writer's conference, the Las Vegas Writer's Conference that is presented every year by Henderson Writers Group in the Las Vegas Mm -hmm. Henderson area. The following week, I attended a meeting of that writer's group because I was so impressed the way they orchestrated the um, the conference. I thought that the group must be good, and it was. Uh, the way they had their group set up is that the members could read for 15 minutes, and then they allowed 10 minutes for critique. There was a standing rule, and it exists today. No blood on the floor. In other words, if you're going to give some critiques that the writer might not want to hear, be courteous about it. Don't take snarky jabs at them. Okay, so usually anywhere from maybe five to eight readers are able to get their work critiqued each week. And I worked through a few of my books with them, and the feedback I got was invaluable. But just as important, I also connected with a few of the members who became actual first readers for me, for other books, and continue to do so to this day with an amazing insight. Because when you listen to them in a critique group, you can kind of call out the ones that really are astute and are really picking up on things that are very valuable to improving your manuscript. And I'm just going to add in one thing here, Denny. Uh, Dara Whitaker, who was our um, editor for Bumping Off Fat Vinny. Dara was one of the people that I hooked up with through Henderson Writers Group. And as you know, his help was invaluable. Wouldn't you agree? I would say it was a great connection. Yeah, so the other thing that you learn by being part of a critique group is you learn a lot about how to critique other people. And when you listen to their work, you see things pop up that are in your work, but when you hear it from them, it doesn't sound as wonderful as you thought it was in your work. If, you know, you think you've written this phenomenal passage, and all of a sudden you're sitting there in a critique group listening to somebody else read, and you're going, why did they say it like that? Couldn't they have tightened it up? Or that's a little bit off the wall. And then it dawns on you that you've done exactly the same thing in one of your things. So it makes you extra, extra alert to look for some stuff like that. And um, then after you've critiqued, you know, maybe the author takes action on your comments or they explain why they appreciated what you said but chose not to follow your uh, your suggestion, which, of course, is their prerogative. This is really important. As an answer, you should 
as an author who is critiquing or receiving critiques, you should always extend courtesy to people who are helping to polish your manuscript. It doesn't matter if the comments are negative or positive. If they open your eyes to something, then it's a great help. Regardless of the outcome, your friends still did invest their time, and you should appreciate it. So I'm going to ask both of you now, have you worked with critique groups? Well, if I can jump in here first, I'll tell you I've had two experiences with critique groups. One very negative, the other one very positive. The first one, and I can't even remember the name anymore, it was probably 13 or 15 years ago, was a... a lady in Henderson who was running uh, uh, writers writers courses, and uh, you had to pay so much a week and so forth to go. And part of her uh, class was critique time. But she, Morgan, you mentioned a little while ago about blood on the floor. This, this I, I was so <laughs> discouraged after the first day of being ripped apart. I, I don't mean constructive criticism. I mean attack stuff that I was ready to throw my uh, my keyboard in the, in the trash and forget about it. But I then hooked up with the Henderson Writers Group and went not knowing based on my first experience how I'd like it or what you know what would happen. But there was constructive criticism, a, a lot of uh, uh, knowledgeable authors with varying degrees of experience and they would go through and and point out pleasantly and politely what they thought, and you could debate back and forth and get different opinions. Of course, it was up to the author in the final analysis what you wanted to do, but it was uh, it was constructive, and I enjoyed those sessions. So yeah, I've I've had a, a very negative and then a very positive experience, and I suspect that most of your actual writers groups, at least the ones I've been associated with or heard of are more along the, uh, the my second experience with there's constructive for you and for everybody for all the uh, all the people at the meetings. You know, speaking of Henderson Writers Group, I'm going to jump in before Eric gives us his take on them. I just realized I made a terrible faux pas a few minutes ago because Dara Whitaker worked with us on La Bella Mafia and our editor for Bumping Off Fat Vinny was also one of the people from Henderson Writers Group, Fred Rayworth. So we've had two great experiences getting editors who were originally first readers and then became our editors from Henderson Writers Group. So now I'm going to turn it over to you, Eric. Okay, well, it sounds like um, I can uh, keep this uh Thread going and, and concur. I also had a positive experience with the Henderson Writers Group, um, a much more positive experience than a uh, critique group that I had when I was living in New York and, and one that I had in LA. Um, what actually happened with me at the Henderson Group is the way the group was being run at the time, there, there no blood on the floor policy to me did not seem constructive um, that the, the, at the time there no blood on the floor policy meant if you don't have anything nice to say don't say it that has since been amended I want to be clear about that where they're saying 
don't attack the writer like that experience you had, Denny. Um, critique the right the right team, and I think that's a good way to go. But the the positive benefit that I had from that was I met a couple of people who had that same feeling in the group that they wanted they wanted a little bit more honest feedback. So um, Megan Edwards and Tammy Cowden and I formed our own um, critique group, and Tammy's husband, Stephen Fay, ended up joining us. So we had a nice little four-person group that met every two weeks, and we were all uh, brutally honest with each other, and it was great. We all benefited. We, we became friends. Um, we, we, you know, we are, our um, friendship was not based on the kind of, uh, critique that we got that week. (laughs) You know, we weren't, we weren't (laughs) emotional basket cases. Of course, you know, all writers are vested in their writing, but, but we were able to separate ourselves. And like, I think that the way the Henderson Writers Group works now, I just attended their, their, this past Monday's. Um, critique meeting and it's it's very constructive the 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 way it's set up like Morgan said um, five to eight authors get up and read for about ten minutes and then there's a five to ten minute um, Q&A critique session afterwards there's also written evaluation forms on every table that people can choose to fill out as well and so it's overall a, a, a very um, I think supportive environment, but it's also opened up to a little bit beyond that original, what was deemed at the time, no blood on the floor. If you don't have something nice to say, don't say anything at all, which to me as a serious writer and as a serious reader, I, I think that that's vital in, in the writing community is to get solid feedback. So critique groups are, are awesome. I think from all three of our perspectives or case studies, um, our listeners can sort of see that it's it behooves them to go out and see what's available in their neck of the woods. And if they can't find anything that suits them, form your own. Yeah, you huh. know, one of the things you have to do, and, and I think we've made it pretty clear by this little discussion we had, happened to all of us having gone to Henderson Writers Group, which is a shining example of a good way to run a critique group. Um, Absolutely. But all of these members, all of these people who are helping you as you go along the path developing your story or your novel or your book, they're actually first readers. You might be reading to them, but the feedback you get is very similar to what you'd get from a first reader, although a first reader would be reading your entire piece. So uh, one other thing I want to add is that I have a different interpretation of No Blood on the Floor, kind of like what the second thing is. To me, No Blood on the Floor would never mean don't say anything if you can't say anything nice. What it would mean is that there are ways to say things and let a person hold their dignity. And I learned that from 
somebody who was one of my professors at UCLA who was raised in Korea for the beginning of his life um, with that very Asian attitude. And this man could tell you he was a, a he taught rendering for interior design you know the development of the 3D sketches he could tell you that your drawing was such a piece of crap and you would look <laughs> at him and say thank you because he had this way of critiquing where he would point out the bad things but he'd also look for the positives so that you could hold your head up and then he'd give you some valid feedback on how you could improve it. And I think at this point in time, that's kind of the tone of Henderson Writers Group, where people oh, yeah, tend to be honest, but they're not nasty. And right. um, one other thing uh, about critique groups, I was asked to be a critique group leader for another uh, organization in Los Angeles, and they split up into different genre critique groups. And I tried to bring over the principle that Henderson Writer Group used because I knew it was one that works. Well, you know, you ask five people and you get ten opinions. And everybody had their idea of how this group was supposed to work. And they finally decided that they wanted to send out the um, piece for critique to the critique group members and have them read it first and then come back with an evaluation sheet, and then the person could read some of their piece. Well, the thing that was happening was that as hard as you tried, we had some members who did not believe in a ticking clock, and they'd take up the entire session and never have any time for feedback. So I think that that format of reading out loud because you hear things that you don't see when you look at them and having the specified time for reading, the specified time for critique is a really good thing. So now I'm rattling on, and I think it's pretty clear that when we ask somebody to be a first reader, we do have to be aware of a few things, and I'm just going to sum up some of the things we talked about. Make sure they relate to your genre. Select people you know will be straightforward and give you their true reaction. People who won't be like judges on some reality shows who say just great or wonderful and mm. they never give any constructive criticism even if the performance was awful um, don't select people who show a tendency to enjoy simply taking pot shots at your work or the work of others if it does happen don't ask them again to be a first reader because nothing comes of being nasty be objective about the feedback you receive and make wise decisions about what to act on and what not to. And then, as a final thing, remember to thank those people who have given of their time. That's an excellent summary, Morgan. And I, I would just add that um, to reiterate the, the remembering to thank people that have, have uh, donated their time to you and... Um, well, speaking of time, it looks like we're starting to run out of time. But I kind of like to put a question out to our listeners. Um, it sounds like we've got maybe a whole show that we could do around writers' groups and critique groups and, and what people get out of them or, or what they want to get out of them. So I invite our listeners to, to maybe respond 
um, write on the on the blog and and see if this is a topic that actually is of interest because we could certainly um, bring in Gregory Compass of the of the Henderson Writers Group and and Richard Warren of the Las Vegas Writers Group and probably a couple of other leaders of of writers groups to sort of discuss what the pros and cons of of being in a in a in a group are and being able to zero in on what you as a writer want out of a group or need out of a group. Great suggestion, um, Eric. Um, let me say, because we currently don't have that sort of comment blog on the writer's tricks of the trade, radio.blogspot.com, oh, what oh, I will I do is put up a post with your suggestion and ask for comments, and people can then visit the blog and comment. Oh, okay. That sounds like a good idea. Um, okay, well, Morgan, where can uh, people find out more about you? Oh, my God. <laughs> Have you got three hours? <laughs> I'm going <laughs> to I'm going to give you my main uh website which is www.morgansaintjames m o r g a n s t j a m e s.com and on that website you will find a page that says blogs and it will list just about all of the i think at this point is about 9 blogs that i administrate um i'm also on facebook as morgan st james or morgan st james author is my fan page and at twitter i'm morgan st james with a capital m s and j how about you denny Yes, and before I get to that, just one one thing I wanted to mention. We had talked earlier about reviews, and uh, I remember uh, you saying that even a negative review can have some positives. And I remember I had a review. I, I did a book called The Battle for Las Vegas, The Law versus the Mob. It was a nonfiction history of the Tony Spilatro Chicago outfit era in Vegas. And it was basically a history book. And I remember I got my first, it was either a one or two star on Amazon. And when I saw that, I was kind of crushed because I've been getting four and five stars. But I read the uh, <laughs> I read the comment and uh, why this individual bought the book, I have no idea. It, 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 he probably, he or she probably wasn't, uh, that wasn't their bag. But the one one line comment was, this thing read like a history book. So uh, that's exactly what <laughs> that it was. That was a positive. Yeah, Anyway, I'm at uh, I'm at Biz. That's B I Z. Biz. Eric. Okay. Um, well, I do a lot on NevadaWriters.org. I'm the president of of uh, Writers of Southern Nevada, and we have a pretty dynamic. Facebook presence, our website, nevadawriters.org, links to the Facebook. Um, the Facebook group, for anybody that wants to join it, is facebook.com slash writers of Southern Nevada. And also, for my personal writing, I am at venicedude.com. That's Venice as in Venice Beach, dude as in the Big Lebowski. 
dot com. <laughs> you can take the beach out of the boy, but you can't take the boy out of the beach, huh? <laughs> <laughs> That's absolutely right. <laughs> hey, by the way, we should mention too that Writers of Southern Nevada is the sponsor of Writers Tricks of the Trade Radio. Um, okay, well, our next show is on July 8th, and we are going to be talking about mistakes that writers make. That's right, folks. We're going to tackle that biggie. We're all, we all make them, whether we realize it or not. So until then, good night and happy writing. Good night. Good night, everybody. <laughs>